It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replies, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, just, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfil the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciples whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge 
of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of the Lord. morning, church. Um, the Lord be with you. Now we resume our study of the Gospel of John this morning. Uh, you will remember that um, <clears throat> in November last year, we left off at John's Gospel <clears throat> chapter 12. And chapter 12 marks the end of Jesus' public ministry. And so chapter 13 begins a new section, a new section of five chapters that records Jesus' final personal teaching to his disciples before his death. And the personal teaching in these five chapters, from 13 to 17, uh, is often referred to as the farewell discourse or the upper room discourse. Uh, and it is called the upper room discourse because the teaching happened in a room above a house in Jerusalem. And it was late afternoon or early evening on the Thursday of Passover week. And in less than 24 hours, Jesus would be betrayed, arrested, and killed on the cross. And so this Thursday is called Maundy Thursday in the church tradition. Now, Maundy comes from the Latin word command, uh, mandatum, uh, which means commandment. Uh, because on this Monday Thursday, Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment, to love one another as Jesus had loved them. But before giving the new commandment, Jesus would wash the feet of his disciples, as Louisa has read for us, and he would institute the Lord's Supper. And it was during the partaking of the Lord's Supper that Judas was revealed as the disciple who would betray Jesus. And after giving the new commandment, Peter boasted, 
that he would lay down his life for Jesus. But Jesus knew better. He predicted that Peter would deny him three times. And so there was a lot happening on that evening. And when we come to celebrate Easter next uh, Easter week in early April, uh, we will have the usual Monday Thursday evening service and besides the Good Friday and the Easter Sunday services. Now, if you have never attended the Monday Thursday service, I strongly encourage you to do so. There will be no feet washing, but we will celebrate the Lord's Supper and we will meditate on Scripture through its reading and through the singing of hymns. And it will be a most meaningful time and, and a moving experience uh, to remember the events of the first Monday Thursday. But for this morning, we want to examine two events in the upper room in some details. The foot washing and the giving of the new commandment. And consider what they mean for us today. <clears throat> now the Apostle John begins the chapter by telling us that Jesus fully knows that his hour has come. His hour has come for him to leave the world and return to the Father. And Jesus has loved his own who are, um, who are in the world and he has loved them to the end. Now notice that the object of Jesus' love is not everyone in the world or all the people in the world, but only his own. That is, the elect people of God, the people who belong to him and who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus will love his own and he will love them to the end. To the end means to the end of Jesus' earthly life. Jesus would go to the cross as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of his disciples, for those who belong to him. And also for, um, uh, yeah, Jesus would die for the sins of all who would believe in him. So this is the extent of his love. So Jesus lives up to what he will later tell his disciples that Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So brothers and sisters, this is how Jesus has loved us, how he has loved you and me when we put our trust in him. Jesus has given all of himself to us by going to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, so that we will not be condemned, but we will be reconciled to God the Father. But there is more. You see, because Jesus rose again from the dead, he continues to love us, not only in this life, but for eternity. That means we will never miss out on Jesus' love. We will never miss out on his presence with us in this life or the next. And so this is the confidence that we have. In Jesus, we have a forever friend, 
a friend who is ever faithful. When other friends betray and forsake us, Jesus is there for us and with us. He will never abandon us. When we face trials and temptations, Jesus knows our weakness and He is there to strengthen us. Jesus is there to share our sorrow when trouble visits us. So, brothers and sisters, when you are weary, when you feel unloved and are burdened, come to Jesus. He is your forever and faithful friend. He will give you rest. In his arm, he will shield you and you will find solace there. So Jesus will never fail to care for you because he has loved you to the end. And also he has loved you without end. Of course, in the upper room, the disciples have yet to understand the extent of Jesus' love. So Jesus proceeds to demonstrate his love for them through the ritual of foot washing. So we read that as the Passover meal progresses, Jesus gets up, takes off his outer garment and wraps a towel around his waist. And he fills a basin with water and begins to wash his disciples' feet and drying them with the towel. <clears throat> so the twelve are totally surprised by Jesus' action because foot washing is customarily done by household slaves. You see, as guests enter the house, the slaves would wash their feet so that when they reclined at the table next to one another, their dirty feet would not interfere with each other's eating. But here is Jesus, the master, washing his disciples' feet. And so when it comes to Peter, Peter is uneasy about that. Peter thinks that it is not right for Jesus to stoop so low to wash his feet. So, Jesus, so Peter tells Jesus, no, you shall never wash my feet. So how does Jesus reply him? Now Jesus does not say that, okay, have it your way, Peter. No, Peter wants, uh, uh, Jesus wants Peter. <clears throat> Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, Jesus is using the foot washing as a metaphor, as a symbol of spiritual cleansing of sins that only Jesus can give. You see, unless Jesus washes, our, uh, washes away our sins, we remain unclean and we will have no part of him meaning that we will not be united with Christ and we will not belong to Him. So, not belonging to Jesus is unthinkable for Peter. So, Peter therefore changes his mind. In his exuberance, Peter then asks Jesus to wash his hands and his head as well. So, however, Jesus tells Peter that those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. The whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. 
So Jesus is continuing the foot washing metaphor uh, to instruct Peter that once a person has a bath, a spiritual bath, uh, their whole body is clean. And the spiritual bath, of course, uh, refers to our conversion, <coughs> our being born again, or our regeneration. So when we are born again, our sins are forgiven and we are justified. So when we are justified, God declares us as righteous. Okay, that's what justification means, that God declares us righteous. Not on the basis of our own righteousness, but because we have none, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness. And that is what our body is clean means. That when we have a spiritual bath, we are forgiven and we have Christ's righteousness on us. And even though we have Christ's righteousness and we are righteous now, we still do sin. We, did, we still do get our feet dirty. But we don't need another bath. We don't need to be born again a second time or a third time. We just need to have our feet washed. Meaning, we need to confess our subsequent sins and receive the cleansing for them. So as the Apostle John tells all Christians in his letter, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. And so you can see the connection there that John is very much influenced by this incident as he writes that letter uh, to Christians. So, friends, even though we are clean, we are righteous, it is important that we do not neglect to confess when, whenever we do sin. But Jesus tells Peter that not every one of the twelve is clean. So Jesus is, of course, referring to Judas, who alone among the twelve is not clean. And Judas is not clean, for he intends to betray Jesus. And the probable reason for this is because uh, Judas thought that Je uh, Jesus would be the political saviour of the world, or of Israel. Jesus, uh, Judas wanted Jesus to free Israel from the power of Rome. Instead, Jesus has made it clear that he is the Messiah who has come to save humanity from sin, from death, and from judgment. And, and Judas is therefore disillusioned, and he never puts his trust in Jesus. In other words, Jesus, uh, Judas is not born again, and he's not clean, even though he has his feet washed by Jesus. And there is a lesson here for all of us. Unless a person puts his or her personal faith in Jesus, the external uh, rituals of religious cleansing 
means nothing. So you may have signed up as a church member. You may have been baptized. But these external rituals in themselves, just like the foot washing, do not make you clean. They do not make you righteous. They do not save you. You see, the external rituals, like baptism, they are only symbols of the real thing. And the real thing is that you must be born again. You must have the spiritual bath. You must believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, who gave his life as a ransom to save you from your sin. So unless you have placed your faith in Jesus, the external symbols will mean nothing and you will have no part with Jesus. And I pray that this is not you. I pray that you have put your trust in Jesus, that you have received the washing from Jesus to make you clean. And if that is you, Jesus wants you to follow his example. So look at verse 14. <clears throat> Jesus says, uh, exhorts his disciples with these words, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, uh, you also wash one another's feet. Now Jesus is not asking his disciples to start washing one another's feet or establish foot washing as a regular ritual. No, Jesus is again using the foot washing as a symbol, this time as a symbol of humility, as a metaphor for humble service. You see, he wants uh, his disciples to follow his example of humble service to one another. And we know this is the right interpretation of Jesus' instruction on foot washing. Because the early church did not practice foot washing on a regular basis like they did with water baptism. Now, some denominations, however, practice foot washing during uh, Monday, Thursday, and they want to be reminded of our calling to humble service. And this is good because we need to be reminded constantly that we have been called to humble service. So whether we practice or don't practice foot washing, the more important thing is to grow in humility. And when we grow in humility, we will easily or readily engage in humble service to others. So we ask the question, what does humility look like for the Christian? And I think it needs to show up in our attitude. And here are two attitudes uh, that will speak about our humility. <clears throat> now first, there is a willingness to confess our sinfulness and to confess our sins when we uh, commit them. You see, confession reminds us of who we really are. The world tells us that we are basically good. And if we wrongly think that we are basically good, we are less likely to confess our wrongs. 
and we will become proud and we will become boastful. But the truth is that we are basically sinners. And because of the cross, we are sinners saved by grace. And therefore, we are grateful for what God in Christ has done for us. And our gratitude will drive us to confess whenever we do sin. And this puts a check on our pride. And this helps us to grow in humility. And the second attitude that shows our humility is the desire to consider the interests of others before our own. So we need humility to consider others before ourselves. Now someone has said that humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Rather, it is thinking of ourselves less. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It is thinking of ourselves less. So, for example, you may be the CEO of a company. Now, humility is not thinking that you are nobody in the company. No, that's not humility. Humility is when you think of yourself as the CEO less and think of the workers under you more. So, for example, uh, as CEO, you may forego your bon bonus or bonuses so that the people under you may have more. So, when you think more of how you can benefit your workers rather than think of how your workers can benefit you, that is humility. And so, we need to see more humility in the church that there are scandals involving abusive pastors tell us that church leaders need to seriously follow the example of Jesus. Pastors need to really practice foot washing, metaphorically speaking. We need to think of ourselves less, not being preoccupied with power, not being preoccupied with the material benefits the church can offer us. Rather, we need to be preoccupied with how we can serve the church and help members mature in their Christian faith. So, we need pastors to lead the example so that all in the church will grow in greater humility. Now, after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, um, they resume their meal. <clears throat> it is at this point that the synoptic gospels, that is, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, even though they do not describe the foot washing, uh, they tell us that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper after that. However, the Apostle John has a different emphasis. John does not explicitly tell us about the Lord's Supper, but he tells us that Jesus now picks up on what he has said earlier to Peter, that not every one of the twelve is clean. And one of the twelve will go on to betray 
Jesus. And so in verse 18, Jesus says these words, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who has shared my bread has turned against me. So Jesus quotes from Psalm 41, a verse from Psalm 41, to show that his betrayal is not a random act, but is predicted in the Old Testament. And the disciples are, of course, shocked, and they are confused. And so Peter motions John, sort of elbowed John, who is reclining next to Jesus, to ask Jesus who the betrayer might be. And Jesus obliges he, to identify the betrayer. Um, Jesus dips a piece of the bread and he gives it to Judas Iscariot. And we are then told that as soon as Judas takes the bread, Satan enters him, and Judas goes out into the night to carry out his evil scheme. And with Judas gone, Jesus now prepares the rest of his disciples for his imminent departure into glory. And then Jesus gives them a new commandment in verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, you may ask, what is new about the commandment? After all, in Israel, God's people are already commanded to love God and to love their neighbours. And furthermore, uh, to love one another is actually a generic command, a very common command, and it is found uh, in all religion, although it may be worded differently. So what is new about the commandment? What is it that distinguishes Christian love that will mark us out as Christ's disciples? Well, the answer is to love as Jesus has loved us. To love as Jesus has loved us. So we come back to that question. How has Jesus loved us? Well, he has loved us to the end and without end. And so we should do the same. Our love is to be sacrificial. Our love is always to be other people-centered. Our love may cost us money. Our love may cost us our reputation. Our love may cost us our job and even our lives. But regardless of the cost, we are to follow Jesus' footsteps. And throughout history, throughout church history, Christians have always exemplified Jesus' love, especially in times of persecution and in times of calamity. So in times of difficulties and hardships, they protect, they provide and they persist in caring for their fellow believers. And not only for fellow believers, but also non-believers as well. So Christians are willing to risk 
their jobs, their lives to love others. And they are not afraid to die. For they remember Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their lives, especially if they follow the example of Jesus' love, whoever loses their lives for Jesus' sake will find it. Now, when Russia invaded um, Ukraine about a year ago, many evangelical Christians chose to stay rather than leave the country. And they stayed and risked their lives to maintain calm amidst the panic. And they stayed to show Christian love to the end. And one of them is Vasil Ostri, pastor at Erping Bible Church. I hope I pronounced those words rightly. And the Bible Church is about 30 kilometers northwest of Kiev. And this was what he said. When this war is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, and mend the broken. And as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. What a beautiful uh, uh, example of this new commandment in action. You see, Peter Austri and his members show that they are true disciples of Christ. And we too will show the world we are true Christians when we love like Jesus loved us. Now there is one more hallmark of true disciples of Jesus. And that is, they do not betray Jesus, and they do not betray one another. Now notice that Jesus gives the new commandment after exposing Judas. Now it is as if Jesus wants the rest of the disciples to know that loving one another means that there is no place for betrayal in the community of believers. And so in this church, in every church, we must not betray one another. We are to remain loyal to one another. We will not slander one another. And we will not throw other people under the bus. And we must never, never betray Jesus. We betray Jesus when we deny Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. We betray Jesus when we teach things that are against what Jesus teaches in the scripture. We betray Jesus when we deliberately sin against him and cause others to stumble. So brothers and sisters, let betrayal be far from us. And let us love one another without end and to the end so that people will know that we belong to Jesus, so that they too will want to belong to Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the water and the blood that flowed from your son's side.
that washes away our guilt and sin. May we learn to follow Jesus' example to serve one another in humility. By the power of your Spirit, help us to love sacrificially so that others may see the love of Christ in us. And may we always remain faithful to Christ, never ever betraying Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.